it's Friday the 9th of December and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. The nationwide truckers' strike has come to an end after 16 days. Unionized truck drivers voted to call off the walkout despite no demands having been met. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. Coming up for weekly economy review, we take a look at the cryptocurrency WeMix being delisted from major Korean crypto exchanges, as well as the latest data on jobs and households. And then on Movie Spotlight, we review a very unfestive local revenge drama called The Christmas Carol and US black comedy horror The Menu. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. Unionized truckers voted to end their 16-day walkout despite failing in their ultimate aim to secure a permanent and expanded minimum pay system before it expires on December 31st. The decision comes in the wake of the government's zero-tolerance policy that led to return-to-work orders as well as a lack of public support. Our KBS World Radio news editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to brief us on the Labour Union's capitulation as well as other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang So now this has been a contentious issue, not just in the private sector, but also a cause for partisan strife. Mm -hmm. So what can you tell us about the trucker union's vote on Friday? Well, the cargo truckers' solidarity under the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions voted on Friday to call off a general strike that began on November 24th. According to the union's North Chola chapter on Friday, 3,575 or 13.6 Seven percent of the union's uh, 26,144 members cast votes. Now, of that number, nearly two-thirds voted to return to work, while the remaining one-third uh, wanted to hold out. Uh, the lower-than-expected voting rate seemingly uh, reflects a majority member's fatigue over the 16-day walkout. The protracted labour action likely resulted in losses in shipments worth one. 1.3 trillion won and 2.6 trillion won, respectively, for the nation's steel and petrochemical industries. The government issued return-to-work <laughs> orders for uh, drivers uh, hauling cement, steel and petrochemical products, citing concerns over the strike's impact on the local economy, a lack of uh, public empathy amid concerns over supply disruptions on top of soaring energy costs and high interest rates may also have pushed the union members to end their collective action. A Gallup Korea survey of 1,000 adults nationwide showed only 21% of respondents supported the strike, while 71% said truckers should return to talks after resuming their routes. The presidential office said on Friday that the general strike has caused astronomical losses to the economy and to people's livelihoods and value to seek an improvement of regulations for the freight transport industry. And as we mentioned, political strife has marred the National Assembly uh, regarding the trucker strike. Despite not being able to secure a permanent and expanded safe trucking freight rate system, a bill for a three-year extension of the current system was unilaterally passed through a parliamentary committee by the main opposition Democratic Party. Can you tell us more? Yes, indeed. Uh, the revised bill, which passed the land 
Infrastructure and Transport Committee aims to extend the system through December 31st, 2025. The ruling People Power Party, uh, which had previously agreed with the government to a three-year extension, boycotted Friday's vote, uh, insisting that the government's uh, insisting on the government's principle that the freight haulers first resume their routes before passing the bill. Meanwhile, the standoff has even delayed the passage of the 2023 budget as a plenary session scheduled for 2pm Friday failed to take place. Can you tell us more? Well, although the rival parties plan to continue negotiations, the two sides are far from reaching a compromise to begin the last uh, regular session of the Assembly on Friday. Floor leaders and policy chiefs of the ruling People Power Party and the main opposition Democratic Party began talks with the Finance Minister uh, Chu Kyung-ho earlier on Friday at the Parliamentary Building before moving uh, their talks to the offices of Assembly Speaker Kim Jin-pyo, where the deadlock deadlock persisted as loud shouting was audible from even outside Kim's office. Even if they strike a deal later in the day, there may not even be enough time in the session to pass the budget plan. This year would mark the first time a budget plan has not been approved within the Assembly's regular session since the Assembly Advancement Act entered into effect in 2014. Now, each faction blames the other for holding up the passage of the bill. The DP insisted they first discuss its own motion to dismiss Interior Minister Lee Sang-min for the government's bungled handling of a fatal crowd surge in Itaewon, while the PPP claimed that the DP is holding the budget bill a hostage to suit their political power play. Let's turn to some late breaking news now. Prosecutors have indicted a former national security adviser, Seo Hoon, over the previous government's handling of the 2020 shooting death of a South Korean fisheries official by North Korean soldiers. So what do we know at this point? Well, the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office on Friday indicted Seo on charges of abuse of power and obstruction of exercise of a right. The uh, former spy chief and national security adviser at the time of the incident is accused of deciding to conceal the North's killing of Lee Dae-jun in uh, September 2020 and instructing uh, government agencies to delete related intelligence during a minister's meeting held the day after his death to make it appear as if he attempted to defect to the north. This marks the first indictment of a senior official of the uh, previous Moon Jae-in administration regarding the death of Lee Dae-jun at the North Korean, so at the hands of the North Korean soldiers. Uh, former Coast Guard Commissioner Kim Ong-hee was also indicted without pretrial detention. And finally, turning to what may be the last remnant of COVID-19 quarantine mandates, health authorities are preparing to downgrade a nationwide indoor mask requirement to a recommendation while maintaining its mandate for high-risk facilities such as nursing homes, hospitals and public transportation. Can you elaborate? Well, a senior official at the Central Disease Control headquarters said on Friday that 
authorities are closely considering policies overseas that require masks to be worn in medical and social welfare facilities and on public transportation. The official added that the agency will finalise a roadmap after discussions with experts scheduled for the 15th and the 26th of December. While the timing for the end of the mask mandate will factor in the number of daily infections, serious cases, uh, the daily death uh, toll and the quarantine capacity, authorities plan to make a decision after a comprehensive overview of infectious trends. We'll wrap it up there for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. The cryptocurrency WeMix, operated by video game company WeMade, was delisted from South Korea's key cryptocurrency exchanges on Thursday, spurring panic among its investors. We take a closer look at what happened now for Weekly Economy Review, as well as look at some new data on jobs growth and the number of single households. Providing us with the expert analysis is economics professor Yang jun Suk from the Catholic University of Korea, who has joined us now in the studio. Professor Yang, hello. It's great to see you. Happy to be here. So some rather disparate topics today, but let's start with that news that has shaken the cryptocurrency world once again. As of 3pm Thursday, Korea's main cryptocurrency exchanges, Upbit, BitThumb, CoinOne and Corbit, under the Digital Asset Exchange Association, or DAXA, terminated their transaction support for the cryptocurrency WeMix. That's only 26 months after the coin was listed by the Korean video game company WeMade. The move comes a day after a Seoul court denied a WeMade's injunction request to block the exchange platforms from delisting its coin. So, Professor, for our listeners, can you give us the details about what caused the delisting? Okay, well, basically, it's another example of sloppy management at cryptocurrency with some suspicion that there is market manipulation. Uh, now, the uh, particular problem with WeMixed was that the uh, the uh, company behind the WeMix, uh, the uh, WeMade, uh, it gave misleading information concerning the amount of WeMix coin that was in circulation and misleading in- information that could have had large consequences for uh, exchanges and coin investors. So looking at this in a bit more detail, WeMix is a crypto coin which can be used for transaction inside the games that's made by uh, WeMade. And it can also be used outside the uh, games. So it can be used inside and outside. And uh, that uh, the uh, WeMade argued would raise the value of the coin. It would make it unique. Uh, so uh, they uh, encouraged the use of coins inside and outside the uh, game sphere. And from the end of 2021, uh, WeMade apparently sold several hundred billion won's worth of WeMix coins without warning or declaration. Mm. Now, if this was a stock market which was regulated, then uh, there, uh, it should have warned that they would be releasing or selling that many uh, new coins or new stocks. Uh, But because cryptocurrency is not regulated, there's no legal requirement to forewarn, but there is a guideline by DAXA uh, that says that such a thing should be uh, announced 
uh, it should be transparent. And it's pretty obvious why, because if you have a lot of additional uh, supply in the market, that would reduce the price. And if this was sold by, say, the owner of the currency, that owner would have gotten uh, really high profits uh, at the risk uh, at uh, while the investors, they would be hurt by falling prices. Mm. Now, uh, we made, released, and sold nearly 37 million Remix coins above what they said they would supply. So that's where the uh, misleading information came from. And at the time, that had a market value of 93.4 billion won. And DAXA considered this amount high enough to cause serious disruption in the market. And it, the case serious enough to warrant delisting in the DAXA exchanges. Now, we made, uh, we made tried to delay the delisting uh, process, stating that, well, this was just a guideline. They didn't break any laws. Uh, so DAXA should not have the right to delist the coin. Uh, but in the court case, they lost. Mm. Uh, so that's why the uh, uh, the uh, DAXA delisted the coins uh, yesterday, and the uh, with the delisting, delist, uh, the value of Remix coins plummeted. Now, looking at the uh, past value of the uh, Remix coin, it spiked at twenty nine thousand one uh, in November twenty twenty one. So that was a year ago, mm. but it rapidly uh, lost. Uh, value and stabilized around 2,500 won per coin. And then after the delisting, it's now listed at about 350 won per coin. Uh, it's not, you cannot trade it in the major Korean exchanges. If you want to trade the uh, Remix coins, you have to go into these minor exchanges or you have to go to foreign exchanges. Right, and uh, Wemix saw its market value shrink by more than 400 billion won, I believe, with the delisting, and its investors are expected to suffer major losses, of course. Uh, the company WeMade's stock also plummeted after the court's decision on Thursday. Uh, this comes after other high-profile cryptocurrency cryptocurrency controversies, such as the crypto exchange platform FTX going bankrupt last month, the collapse of the Luna and Terra USD coins earlier this year. What does this latest incident, the delisting of Wemix, indicate about cryptocurrencies, do you think? Okay, the more and more we hear about cryptocurrencies, and this is both inside and outside Korea, uh, the uh, cryptocurrency, both the uh, people in charge of the currency and people in charge of exchanges, they seem to be, at best, very sloppy. Uh, they have uh, accounting problems that would be unheard of in a uh, more mature financial sector. And at worst, they may be uh, involved in manipulation or embezzlement of funds. Uh, now, uh, this is a very interesting history lesson because this doesn't really have to do with cryptocurrencies per se. Mm. It has to do with financial market regulation. And if you look at the case of a very bad uh, counting practices or uh, embezzlement of funds, this is what happened in, say, 18th, 19th century, uh, with, where, where you had these uh, Wild West banks that were not regulated. Mm. And this is the very reason why financial regulations were introduced throughout the uh, early 20th century. And this is really ironic because Cryptocurrencies were originally created because its creators did not really trust the central banks to uh, maintain value of the currency. They did not really trust financial regulators to uh, maintain the order of the system. Uh, so uh, 
they uh, invented these coins not to be regulated, but now regulation may be the only hope of keeping the uh, currency, uh, cryptocurrency markets alive because they're beginning to they're beginning to lose so much credibility mm. that they might not be able to find uh, credible investors, only very shady people who may be uh, involved in cryptocurrencies now who are willing to uh, uh, accept all the problems, accounting problems and embezzlement problems. Well, I'm not sure about the wider cryptocurrency sector, but the company We Made has remained bullish about WeMix and the future of crypto gaming, as they've called it. So we'll see how the situation does uh, develop and if it turns around for them in the future. Let's turn to some other headlines of the week now. Some new jobs data was released this week. According to Statistics Korea, the country's total jobs stood at 25.58 million in 2021. That's up 850,000 from the previous year. It marked the largest yearly gain since 2016 when the statistics agency began compiling related data. So, Professor, what do you see in these numbers? Okay, well, note that the survey is based on number of jobs than the number of unemployed or employed persons. Uh, so if a person holds more than two jobs, in this study it's counted as two or more jobs, whereas in a, say, uh, unemployment survey, you would be counting as an employed one person even if they hold two or more jobs. Uh, now, a uh, number of jobs here were calculated based on social insurance data, income tax data, and other administrative data rather than through household surveys, which is what they usually do with unemployment data. So jobs which do not pay social insurance or submit income tax data, they're not included here. Mm. Uh, so numbers between this report and monthly employment figures uh, are not going to match. Uh, but the trend is generally similar. Uh, in 2021, we saw that there's 25.6 million jobs, as you said. Uh, that grew by 3.5%. And that compares to the growth rate of 2.9% in 2020, 2.6% uh, growth in 2019. And then the uh, growth rate drops substantially to 1.4% and uh, in the 1% range before, mm. uh, not 2017 and before. Uh, and the uh, jobs mostly come from small and medium-sized enterprises. 62% of the uh, jobs are in small and medium-sized enterprises. Only 17% are in large companies. Uh, that's uh, backed up by other data as well. Uh, in and increases as well, not just the number of jobs, but the increases are mostly coming from small and medium-sized enterprises. Of the 850,000 jobs, 490 came from uh, increases came from SMEs. Uh, in terms of industry, 170,000 jobs were created in the wholesale and retail distribution. Uh, 150,000 jobs were created in social welfare and health. Mm. And I just want to note this because these are likely to be uh, government-supported jobs. Right. And uh, uh, on the other hand, you had 10,000 job reductions in lodging and food industries. That's because of the COVID. Remember, this is last year's data when we still had a uh, large problem with uh, the epidemic. Uh, now, the uh, largest job gains came with 60-year-olds and above. Mm. Uh, 23,000 jobs for male and, males and 24,000 jobs for females were created. And if you look at total jobs created for uh, men, uh, excluding 60 year, uh, year old or above, actually they're less 
than the jobs created for the old people. Okay. And fee, uh, for the uh, women, for females, uh, the uh, jobs created for younger people that's below 60, uh, that's 28,000, so that's slightly more than 24,000 uh, jobs that were created for 60-year-olds or above, uh, but it still shows that most half, uh, more than half of the jobs that were created were for uh, very old people. Okay. And that seems to be because these are government-supported jobs. They're designed to uh, alleviate old-age poverty. Korea has the highest rate of old-age poverty in the OECD. Mm. And so these are, again, likely to be government-supported jobs in okay. the uh, social welfare and health sectors. So is this trend sustainable, then, in the coming years? Uh, I don't think so. Mm. Uh, you really need to have these jobs provided by the private sector instead of using government funds. Uh, but the problem is uh, it's not clear. Uh, if you want to have more private sector jobs, you're going to need to have a lot of legal reforms, uh, regulatory reforms. Uh, you basically need to have a labor reform where the retirement age is pushed back a lot more and a lot of regulations which uh, limit the uh, number of jobs for older people have to be eliminated. Uh, but the current government, they wanted to get rid of these supported jobs. Uh, but now, because of the uh, old age poverty problem, uh, they're saying they're going to maintain these jobs for the foreseeable future. Okay, and meanwhile, more data from Statistics Korea this week showed that 7.17 million Koreans were living alone in 2021. That's about 33% of the 21.4 million households in the country, and it's up 7.9% from the previous year. So one in three households are now single households in South Korea. So, Professor... Uh, why are we seeing this trend and what does this mean for the economy? Okay, well, I think there's two schools of explanation. It may be uh, both schools are true, but uh, still, I think there's two main approaches. One is the economic approach, uh, and that says that the reason that you have single people households are that uh, young people have not enough income, they uh, cannot afford housing, uh, so they have to live alone. Uh, that's one explanation. But another explanation is cultural change. Uh, the uh, same uh, surveys and uh, studies show that uh, a lot of people really don't want to get married. They don't really feel that uh, this uh, disadvantage because they're not married. Uh, so it may be something cultural. It may mm. be that we just don't want to get married. Sure. And we see that not only among the young but also in the uh, very old, over 60s, because, well, we hear, we hear more and more about all these couples who divorce after their children are growing up. Sure. And what does this mean for the economy? What does this mean for the government? How do they cope with this issue? OK, well, the uh, biggest problem that people mention is how to take care of the older people and uh, the economic growth, because uh, lower uh, single people households means less children, which means less labor force in the future. But frankly, yes, it does affect the uh, uh, growth rate, but not that much. Mm. And it could be overcome by increasing capital investment or, more importantly, increasing efficiency in the economy. Uh, but if we really do need more people, we should be looking into Im more immigration. Uh, we've tried raising the uh, number of uh, births for the uh, last 20 years. It didn't really work. If the cultural explanation is true, then it's not going to work. Mm. Uh, so, uh, Considering economics, uh, more uh, immigration perhaps, more emphasis on efficiency uh, for welfare, that is a serious problem because that money has to come from somewhere sure. and there's going to be less younger people to pay for the uh, social uh, 
payments, uh, health payments for the older people. So that is something that we need to get uh, ready for right now. Okay, we'll have to leave it there for this week's Weekly Economy Review. Professor Yang, as always, thank you for your analysis. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 17.96 points, or 0.76% on Friday, closing the week at 2,389.04. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 6.97 points, or 0.98%, to close the day at 719.49. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 16.71 against the U.S. dollar, ending the day at 1,301.31. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Korea Trending, our daily segment where we round up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Diane Yu with us once again to bring us those stories. Diane, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Dango. It's good to see you again. Okay, so what stories do you have lined up for us today? So first, we'll talk about emergency services in Korea killing three bears that escaped from a farm late Thursday night. We'll also learn about the 27th member of the national soccer team that team captain Son Heung-min paid tribute to. And finally, we'll find out which K-pop singer will be accompanying Japanese billionaire Yusaku Maezawa to the moon next year. Okay, let's start with that first story then that alarmed Ulsan residents last night. Can you tell us more? Mm -hmm. Police and firefighters in Ulju County in Ulsan City killed three bears that escaped from a breeding farm late Thursday night. The officers were dispatched to the farm in a secluded village in the county after receiving a call a little past 9.30 p.m. from the daughter of the farm's owners about how she was not able to reach her parents. When the police and firefighters got to the scene, they found the owners, a couple in their 60s, deceased with injuries in front of the farm. From the look of their injuries, police believe the couple was killed after being attacked by the bears. That's very sad to hear indeed. Do we know if there were any more bears on the farm or was it just those three? Initially, it was believed that there was one more, but authorities confirmed with the owner's daughter that the farm raised just those three bears. Upon arriving at the scene, firefighters found the three bears and with help from civilian hunters, all were killed at around 11.30 p.m. And police found that the breeding farm was an unregistered facility, meaning that the deceased couple had been raising bears illegally. Yes, as I mentioned, this must have given quite a fright to the neighbours in the area. Of course, indeed. The Ulju County sent out emergency text alerts to residents in the late hours of Thursday, urging them to refrain from going outside. Yes, it's perhaps unfortunate that the bears had to be killed, but right. it looks like the authorities had little choice for the safety of the residents, especially after they had attacked and mm -hmm. killed the owners. OK, let's move on to our next story now. What do you have for us? Many were wondering who Oh Hyung-gyu was when the captain of the national soccer team, Son Heung-min, mentioned him upon the team's return home from Qatar on Wednesday. When speaking to reporters at Incheon International Airport, Son said he would like to take the opportunity to say thank you so much to Oh. Son said he believes Oh played the most important role in the team at the FIFA World Cup. Oh was picked as the 27th member of the national squad in case the captain would not be able to play in the tournament, having undergone surgery for a facial fracture some two weeks before the World Cup. 
Right, for followers of the domestic K-League, they'll be very familiar with the Samsung Blue Wings forward, but for casual fans of the national team, they might not have been aware of him, especially as he wasn't in the official 26-man squad list right. uh, for the World Cup in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great relief for Team Korea, of course, that Son ended up being able to play mm-hmm. uh, with the face mask, of course, right. but uh, I'm sure it would have been disappointing for all. Right. Though he lost the opportunity to play in the world's biggest soccer event, the 21-year-old striker said he will never forget the days spent in Qatar, thanking Son for giving great advice every chance the team captain got. He said he learned a lot from observing his team members from how they trained to stay fit both physically and mentally. O was the one who ran to the field to alert his teammates about Uruguay beating Ghana in the other Group H match shortly after the Taegut Warriors beat Portugal in their third and final game. Both South Korea's and Uruguay's victories last Friday paved the way for South Korea to advance into the round of 16 for the first time in 12 years. Indeed, it was great to see him celebrating with the team despite mm-hmm. not being able to play in the end. Right. Uh, meanwhile, I understand the team had a special dinner hosted by President Yoon Sang-yeol on Thursday. That's correct. President Yoon and First Lady Kim Gon-hee welcomed the group of 21 players and the coaching staff, including the captain Son and manager Paolo Bento, in the reception hall of the former president compound Cheonghadae. And according to the presidential office, Yoon said in his welcome speech that the team is the winner of this World Cup for South Korean citizens. Yoon added that the players' youth and passion gave great solace and hope to Koreans going through difficult times and showed that the nation can overcome any difficulty with unrelenting spirit. Son and Bento thanked the president for inviting them to the dinner and for the nation's support. Son also wrapped the yellow captain's armband he wore during the game against <laughs> Portugal around Yoon's arm. Yes, uh, we say 21 players attended because some had to fly straight back to the countries that Mm -hmm. they are playing in. Uh, But it's rather wonderful to see the team get such recognition uh, upon their return. Yes, of course. Let's move on to our final story. What else was trending today? The South Korean singer and rapper top of the K-pop group Big Bang has been chosen as one of the eight crew members that will accompany Japanese billionaire Yusaku Maezawa to the moon next year. Maezawa announced on Friday his selection on Twitter and on the Dear Moon Project's website. This is the name of the mission with SpaceX, which was created by Elon Musk with the aim of revolutionizing the aerospace industry and making spaceflight affordable a reality. Mm. Following the announcement, said in a video that he feels great pride and responsibility in becoming the first Korean civilian going to the moon. Yes, it sounds like it's going to be an incredible experience for him and the other participants, but I'm sure it'll also be a nerve-wracking one as well, I imagine. Well, not for Top. During the same video following the announcement, the musician said that he is not scared to go at all and that he is not afraid of new experiences. He instead feels honored and humbled to have this experience. All eight participants were chosen through a competition that started in 2018 by the Japanese billionaire. American DJ Steve Aoki, who is known by many South Koreans for his collaborative work with K-pop groups such as BTS and Monster X, was also chosen. Mm. The other picks include Indian actor Dev Joshi, American YouTuber Tim Dodd, Czech artist Yemi AD, and Irish photographer Rhiannon Adam. 
Yes, this will be the first time for the eight crew members to go to space, but not for Maezawa, right? That's correct. The Japanese billionaire made headlines when he made a 12-day trip to the International Space Station as a private space tourist last December. Maezawa is often referred to as the Elon Musk of Japan, <laughs> having made his fortune founding the e-commerce firm Start Today and later Zozotown, which has come to be Japan's largest online fashion real website, retail website. And as of December 2000. 2021, he is estimated by Forbes to have a net worth of $2 billion. Yes, it's interesting that Top was chosen in uh, Big Bang's music video for mm-hmm. Still Life earlier this year. He was featured walking around on the moon. So right. maybe he knew already Probably. back then, but uh, who could have guessed? It's right. a, quite an extraordinary story anyway. Yes. Uh, that's where we'll re- leave it for Career Trending today. Thank you for those stories and we'll see you next time. See you next week. We continue on now to our weekly segment, Movie Spotlight, reviewing some of the latest cinematic releases at the box office and online. That means we are, of course, joined by our film critics. First, we have Jason Beshevais. Jason, hello. Hello, Jango. And we have Darcy Paquette with us as well. Darcy, hello to you too. Yeah, good to be here. Okay, this week we're kicking off with a new Korean film. It's called Christmas Carol, and it has the same title in Korean. And Jason, despite its name, it's not exactly your typical end-of-year festive film, is it? No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's it's the, the polar opposite, in fact. Uh, it's grim. It's violent. Lots of, you know, foul language. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a cynical view of the church. It's not something you associate with Christmas movies. So this is not <laughs> a Christmas film. Uh, it's based on a novel by uh, Ju Wong-gyu that was published in December 2016. Um, and yeah, the film's uh, inciting incident takes place on Christmas Eve, uh, which we see partially at the beginning of the film. Uh, and so the protagonist's twin brother, he has learning difficulties and he's found dead. Um, and uh, so we, we have this character uh, played by a singer and actor Jin Yong. Um, and he he doesn't feel it's um, well. He's he's largely suspicious that uh, the police are not really investigating it properly, uh, and they're not treating it as murder. So um, and he he has uh, a phone call with his twin brother. He hears something, and then uh, he confirms from from uh, some CCTV footage that uh, he was indeed attacked. And mm. so what he does is he gets himself incarcerated at a juvenile detention centre, and uh, as he uh, seeks revenge. So that that kind of common thread that we often see um, in Korean films, it's back here uh, in a big, big way. And so he, he he's basically uh, he wants to find the gang responsible for his brother's death and mm. uh, unleash hell. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> and there, one of the teachers, uh, played by Kim Yong Min, attempts to counsel him. But uh, yeah, his his mind is made up. Mm. It's directed by Kim Sung Soo. Now there are two Kim Sung Soo. So don't. When I saw the director, I was like, is this the the, the Kim Sung Soo? Uh, but uh, yeah, it's not it's the that other. Kim it's Sung-soo. the other Kim, Kim Sung Soo. Yeah. So okay. the, 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 the when I talk about the Kim Sung Soo, this is the director behind Beat and Asura. Mm. Um, but uh, this Kim Song Soo, uh, he made the action film uh, Running Man 2005 uh, and uh, one or two other, yeah, film and also uh, a TV series. 
Um, and Prism's Cow also features Kim Dong-hee, who recently won the Best New Actor Award at the Blue Dragon Awards okay. for his role in, in our prime. Right, so Darcy, a very grim, a very violent revenge story, essentially. Uh, how did you find it? Uh, perhaps too dark for this time of year? <laughs> well, I mean, definitely, if you're in the mood for something Christmas Eve, I mean, it's it's a film that kind of destroys any last shred of hope for humanity you may yeah, have had no, before going into the theatre. And, you know, I have mixed feelings about the film because I think it was well-made and, you know, it was perfectly well-directed. Uh, it's based on a novel and the, the acting is very good. Um, I, mean, I just... There are a couple things. Um, I mean, the story, I don't want to give anything away, but, um, you know, it has a twist. And there are certain films that in trying to create this twist that will surprise the audience kind of ends up twisting itself <laughs> into knots. And, um, yeah, it was kind of too, I won't say it's too extreme a twist, but mm. uh, in in trying to make this twist, you know, it ends up kind of going in a completely direction different direction at the end right and so there was that and i wasn't really sure what the point of the film was and not not all <laughs> films have to have a point you know but the film asks a lot emotionally from the viewer and it kind of really drags you through some dark places and at the end of it i'm not sure what i was supposed to get out of the film mm, okay yeah no i i i I agree with Darcy on many of those uh, uh, factors there because, yeah, it's certainly very... It's so grim and uh, you come out feeling quite exhausted and dirty and, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it just, it just doesn't fit. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it just doesn't feel right. But that being said, though, I, I, I was rather engaged throughout the whole thing. Mm. Um, I think it's... Uh, the, the twist, I, I kind of suspected... Um, and I, 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 yeah, its view on the church was quite interesting. It has a really striking image right at the end of the film, mm. um, and given it's set at Christmas and uh, thematically, it ties into a lot of what we're seeing in series and films at the moment. Um, the acting is is that was one of the things I really liked about the film. Jin Young is is fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah, he's really good. And so I got home and I said to my wife, "Do you know Jin Young?" She's like, "Yes, he's he's really good actor mm. and." Uh, and I was I was I was really quite taken with his his performance, uh, you know, as both a lead and also a supporting actor. And, and actually, the whole cast was really good. Um, and yeah, it's well directed, like Darcy said, but strong production values. But it is really grim. It's really dark. And uh, yeah, it's kind of stayed with me. And mm. uh, it's uh, I was quite surprised though that the viewers here seem to quite like the film. I wonder is mm. it is this fans of uh, Jin Young just kind of get, <laughs> right. watching the film and getting behind it? But uh, I, I was like, is this going to work in Korea? It's just too dark. But I was I was reading the netizen uh, comments, and a lot of them were talking about the acting. So sure, I, I was curious about that, uh, Darcy. I was curious about. How whether this uh, film might find an audience, mm. in, uh, especially at this time of year. I mean, I'm always impressed by the strong stomach of Korean audiences that they're able to handle really dark and violent films in mm. a way that I think audiences from a lot of countries would just kind of turn off. On you know, I mean, that said, it's not. I don't see it as a, a something that's going to make a big impact on the box office, but. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does, because it leaves a strong impression on you, uh, I think that there will be some people who don't like it, but the other people who 
uh, are talking about the film and um, yeah, I mean, it, it is getting good reviews online uh, for the fact that it, you know, has such a strong emotional sure. effect on the viewer. So people will remember it, I'm sure. Yeah, it was interesting also because it reminded me a lot of kind of independent films made in Korea, which, you know, are typically quite dour, you know, set in the depths of winter, which is what <laughs> happens here. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, at the same time, this film... Uh, you know, it's got it's, it's on wide release, so it's it's also a kind of commercial film. So mm. it's kind of somewhere in between an independent film and and a commercial title. Interesting. Okay, so that was our review for Christmas Carol, perhaps one of the most uh, misleadingly titled movies of the year. <laughs> uh, let's continue on to our second film, The Menu, an American black comedy uh, horror starring the British actors Ralph Fiennes and Nicholas Holt alongside Anya Taylor Joy. So, Darcy, can you set this one up for us? I mean, this is another one where if you look at the... If you just kind of glance quickly at the poster and you look at the title of the menu, you might not be prepared for what's <laughs> going to... Yeah. What you're going to get. So it focuses on a young couple uh, played by Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt. And they are exclusive guests at this dinner, uh, which is at an extremely exclusive restaurant with a really famous chef. Mm. Uh, the chef is played by Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes, and they travel. I mean, the the restaurant's located on this island, and so they have to take a boat out to the island. And uh, you know, all of the dishes are kind of crafted from you know the sea creatures around the island and the things that grow on the island. And no bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm guessing that's an in joke. Okay. <laughs> if you see the movie, it is it is a funny in joke, but um, yeah, I mean it's. It's obviously at the beginning making fun of uh, kind of high-end restaurant culture and the way that, you know, when you're served meals at these really high-end restaurants, that everything has a story behind it. Mm. And, you know, the menu has a narrative. And uh, so this film kind of takes that concept and um, while making fun of it, it pushes it as far as it can uh, potentially go. Um, yeah, so the director is uh, Mark Mylot. He... Um, He's directed seasons of Succession and also Game of Thrones, uh, so he's quite successful on TV. Uh, he directed Ali G in the House in 2002, <laughs> <laughs> so he's a mixed resume perhaps. But um, but it's also produced by a couple of famous people, uh, Adam McKay, who did The Big Short, mm, and, right. and Will Ferrell, the well-known comedy actor. Uh, so this premiered in Toronto uh, in September, and it's doing well uh, at the box office. It's... Sure. Yeah, close to fifty million with a budget of thirty million. Sure. So, Darcy, I feel like you are trying to give as little detail away <laughs> yeah. as uh, possible, uh, because I guess that's part of the fun of this film. Jason, uh, I would say the trailer, which I've seen, made it seem more like a cross between an episode of uh, Black Mirror and the Jordan Peele film Get Out. I'm not sure if that's right, but uh, we described it as a black comedy horror. Is that how you would describe it as well? Uh, yeah, um, I wouldn't say it was especially funny. Um, and so I feel somewhat conflicted. Uh, but again, this film is lingering, um, in my brain. I, I can't just get it out now. Um, and that's the whole point. It's, it's a very kind of, uh, it's not an ideological film. It's more of a psychological, uh, psycho psychological film. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it just, um, 
Yeah, it just really gets into your, into your head. Um, and you've got these characters, and not everything is particularly clear. Uh, even by the end, I had a lot of questions about, you know, what's really motivating uh, these particular characters. But that's that's the whole point, I think. And uh, we're in this living in a society where it's plagued with problems and social disparity and kind of parasite. It reminded me of parasite in some ways. Mm. Um, uh, and also, you know, looking at what happened in the UK with Brexit and the United States with Trump, and we got a war in Europe. And uh, I think this film very much focuses on 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 the yeah, I guess the irrational thinking that people often make. Mm. Um, and uh, there's not necessarily an answer to everything. And this probably doesn't make much sense, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it really got into my got into my head, and uh, uh, I, I quite liked it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still conflicted okay Darcy what about you yeah I liked it a lot <laughs> I mean it's a very nasty film and I I went in not knowing very much about it I hadn't seen the trailer I again I I wasn't <laughs> I, I didn't know what I was going to get but I uh I did enjoy the film uh the yeah I mean the, I mean Ray finds is you know he plays the chef mm. and uh he's such a he comes across as such a serious person, you know, I mean, mm. both in his acting, he's in the early part of his career. He's always playing these really heavy, serious roles and you listen to interviews with him and he doesn't seem to have any sense of humor and he seems <laughs> really serious. And yet you put him in a comedy and he's so good at it. Mm. And yeah, I, I found him kind of hilarious, even though <laughs> you know, his character himself is like sure. dead serious in the film, but it's really funny. I thought it sounds like this film could, uh, become a sort of cult classic what do you think yeah it was clearly connecting with audiences mm. um kind of like parasite again and i think there's just so much rage out there um you know social disparity and just the state of the world and i think you know you've got these characters in this restaurant and they're all they've all got their own backstory which they, they the, the film doesn't really go into their backstory in a big way at all mm. and there's a lot of um yeah there's a lot of holes in the in that sense uh but 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 that's what I liked about it. It just sure. you come out and yeah, at the end of the film something happens and it's like oh okay, um, and uh, and also it's it's how these characters have changed so quickly, mm. um, being influenced by those around them, their own circumstances, and kind of going back to that kind of irrational thinking that I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, it's an interesting movie, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's nice to see a film that's also completely original, mm. right? It's not based on a novel or a comic book or anything like that. I know Hollywood relies so heavily on pre-existing material and as a film critic it just gets really kind of frustrating and tiring you know to see that the biggest films of the season are always you know things mm. that you already you already know what they are sure. before you even watch them so so yeah it was nice to see a film that kind of surprised you and took you in some unexpected places yeah, it definitely does that <laughs> indeed yeah. okay so that was the menu uh, we'll wrap it up there for movie spotlight this week jason darcy thank you as always for your reviews and we'll see you again soon yeah, see you next time take care We wrap up the show now by looking ahead to what's happening next week in our segment Next Week from Toll. And providing us with the preview is our staff editor, Richard Larkin, who's here with us now in the studio. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. 
Okay, so what's the first thing we should look out for next week? The top nuclear envoys of South Korea, the United States and Japan will meet in Jakarta, Indonesia next week to discuss issues related to North Korea. On Monday and Tuesday, the Special Representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs, Kim Gunn, will hold meetings with his American and Japanese counterparts, Sung Kim and Takehiro Funakoshi. This will be the fourth in-person meeting for the top nuclear envoys since Kim took office in May. Seoul's foreign ministry said that in the bilateral and trilateral meetings, the three sides will likely discuss their assessments on the situation on the peninsula, as well as the denuclearization of North Korea. Okay, so a meeting of the nuclear envoys next week. Moving on, what else is going on? The chief of the International Atomic Energy Agency will visit South Korea from next Tuesday to Friday to discuss a range of nuclear issues with ranking government officials. Director General Rafael Grossi will meet Foreign Minister Park Jin and other senior government officials during the trip to discuss North Korea's nuclear development. Japan's plan to discharge into the ocean radioactive water from its crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant will also be brought up. On Wednesday, Grossi will attend a ceremony for the completion of the Shinhan-ul Reactor 1 in Uljin, North Gyeongsang province. The reactor was completed in 2020 after 10 years of construction. The Nuclear Safety and Security Commission approved the reactor's operation in July last year. Okay, so more North Korea-related meetings next week, along with various nuclear issues. Uh, Let's look at one more. What else should we keep an eye out for next week? South Korea's first lunar orbiter, Danuri, is set to enter lunar orbit next week. The orbiter is currently set to arrive on the 17th, as previously estimated, after travelling some 6 million kilometres. Danuri has already succeeded in missions such as testing its data transmission capability in the space environment early last month. It proved the stability of Korea's space internet technology by sending Dynamite, the hit single of K-pop group BTS, 1.28 million kilometres to Earth. Once the orbiter enters lunar orbit on the 17th, it will settle into an orbital altitude 100 kilometres above the surface of the moon on January 1st. Then over the course of the year, it will conduct a scientific observation of the moon. Yes, so it's a very important stage in Tanuri's uh, mission. We'll be hoping everything is operational and that we'll be able to get some pictures of the lunar surface soon as well. That's all for today, Richard. Thank you for that and uh, have a great weekend. You too. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Career 24. As usual, we'll be back on Monday, so we hope you can join us again then to get your daily dose of Career News Analysis. Till then, we hope you have a wonderful weekend. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You ready? Let's go.